This is the Game Chat on Design Talk. This episode is part of a series of interviews recorded at Spiel 21 in Essen, Germany. Next up, the Detective Society and Dakota Irish. The Detective Society creates immersive puzzle experiences, mystery detective games merging the vibe of a complex escape room with the dark tension of a whodunit. I'm talking with Dan Wiseman, Managing Director and Head of Marketing. Um, So my name's Dan, I'm the uh, Managing Director of the company and I co-founded it with two of my friends who are also here at the show this weekend. Okay, so uh, how long has the company been running? Oh, we've been going for two years. Um, we got the idea pre-pandemic um, and we had our games in some pubs in London. Um, unfortunately, the pandemic hit and we decided to move our games into a play-at-home environment. I love the way the game is actually quite thin and, and portable. Yeah, so it was designed to go through letterboxes, was the original concept. Okay. And it sort of bulked out a little bit since then. So that's where the original idea came from. Yeah, that's an interesting, using that constraint uh, that, as a hard de- uh, design decision. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, is this the only game you publish? Yeah, so, uh, well, we've, there's quite a few games in the Detective Society range. Um, so we've got uh, several seasons, so the first season, second season, and a third season's on the way at the moment. And we've just launched yesterday our fourth adventure. And we've also got a play at a print at home uh, family game as well, all in the sort of detective society world that we've created. Is this the first time you've come to Spiel? Uh, I've been before as an attendee. Uh, I'm a big gamer and have all, always have been a big gamer. Um, but this is the first time we've exhibited at Spiel, yeah. Okay. Why did you choose to come to Spiel? Um, just because we recognise it as one of the leading shows that you can go to. Uh, we did UK Games Expo recently in Birmingham, which was really good for us. So we've been looking for other shows um, and that, um, we thought Spiel was a good one to, do, to go to. What's your goal in coming to Spiel? Uh, it's two, two things really. Obviously sales is the, the main goal always. Um, we've got games here to sell. We've got all of our games here available to sell. Um, second, secondly to that, we've got uh, the, the desire to kind of connect with partners. So we're meeting distributors, licensed partners. Um, uh, also just for people, some people like to try out the game and then they'll buy from our website as well. So a mixture of those two things really. Is Spiel unique in so far as it brings in the general public and the distributors and yeah. manufacturers? And yeah, I think, yeah, I think it is. I think um, it's, it's very business focused, absolutely, but there's also a lot of uh, general public attendees. Um, and I think that's because Germany in particular seems to have a really thriving uh, board games environment. Um, probably per head, I should imagine it's much higher than other such countries. So it seems like the general public like to come along. Uh, in addition to the business side of things. I, I expect some of the uh, small operations here, even yeah. the big ones, yeah. would hope to cover some of the costs with sales on this one. Yeah, absolutely, and that is the thing for us as well. We've um, hired a van, filled the van up in stock, drove it from London, where we're based, across Europe, uh, hotels, staff, all of that sort of stuff. Um, in particular, we've had a lot of hurdles because of Brexit, um, so we've had a lot of issues with our paperwork. We actually uh, arrived a day late because we got stuck in Dover in, in the UK. 
Um, so yeah, there's a lot of costs to cover. Um, so uh, whether the event is profitable or not is one consideration, but also the connections that we'll make and the marketing oomph that we'll get as well is valuable in itself. So there are two sides to that kind of the money side of it, I guess. Um, the game is fairly polished. I see you've got some tables set up with people playing. Yeah. Is it still in development? Would you be getting feedback from those tables or are you happy with the product as is and you're just purely yeah. trying to get people to... So um, we've developed a 10 minute demo specifically for this event. Um, it's got no, because our games are quite narrative driven, we didn't want to give any spoilers away. So we've created a separate standalone thing for people to try. And that seems to be a really good draw for people to then purchase. Um, what we, uh, we cr actually create a new episode every month. So our development cycle is so fast. Um, we don't get a huge amount of outside exposure to our games before launch. We do have a small team of play testers, um, but we don't necessarily go to the wider public for feedback, no. So it's a, it's a rapid process for us. So in a sense, the core mechanics of the game yeah. have been have been stable for a while and yeah. developing a content. Exactly, yeah. So it's um, because our games are sort of puzzle-based, um, they're they're not so much we're not inventing new board game mechanics we're creating puzzles it's content yeah it's content driven rather than mechanic driven so you started just before pandemic yeah you, how did that affect you the break the, 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 the stopping of all sort of yeah travel? well it was a double-edged sword really um so my colleagues come from an escape room background they've designed some of london's top escape rooms um and uh, as they wanted to kind of create something themselves um, and we were worried that this idea that we had in pubs was uh, being hurt by the pandemic but actually it represented a real opportunity and we certainly saw a massive spike around Christmas last year when everyone was in lockdown, couldn't leave their homes and wanted products to play at home. So it's a double-edged sword, it made us kind of have to adapt quite quickly but it also meant that we got a lot more sales because everyone was stuck at home. It's a physical product. Yep. Is there a digital version? Do you yeah, so we've got this um, new family game that we launched last week. Uh, it's a print, a print and play game. So customers can buy that on our website and get it instantly. Uh, not a huge amount of papers to download because there is a lot of digital components to our games. There's things like text messaging and uh, websites that you've got to interact with and all sorts of stuff. So um, that product is instantly available. Um, we're, we would like to do more of those sorts of digital products as well in the future just to cover kind of physical and digital. Um, but that's the only one we've got at the moment. How did you fund the company at the outset? Was it a hobby? Yeah. Or is it something you said, this is going to be commercial from day one? Yeah, so coming back to the coronavirus double-edged sword, um, my colleagues were actually put on furlough from their jobs. So to some extent, they were getting paid uh, a small amount of money each month um, and a lot of time on their hands. So the design process was kind of self-funded. The uh, production of the games, we actually uh, put our first series on Kickstarter and it was really popular on Kickstarter and that allowed us the funds to actually manufacture the games. Okay, what was your Kickstarter target for the first uh, I think we set it at £10,000, we've got about £70,000. So it's a real, uh, a real kind of, we really kind of confirmed that people wanted this product at that point. And uh, I've heard Kickstarter described as 
it kind of forces you to deal with all aspects of the business. So um, my background is in entrepreneurship. I'm an entrepreneur mentor at a, a university. Uh, I've run several other companies before this company as well. So I've got quite a lot of experience in the business side of things. So that was really my area. Um, so, um, you know, things like the things that I didn't know about were things like production costs. I've never produced a physical product. product, product. Um, so that was a bit of an unknown for us. And we did an awful lot of research in the run up to the Kickstarter. Um, we've, we, we, we learned an awful lot about what works, what people want to know about, what we need to cover, all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think probably my previous experience helped with that. And then I've got my colleagues for the game design experience. I think um, the Detective Society is quite a little bit unique insofar as you started off as a partnership, I suppose. Yeah. And rather than one creative. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, um, so my colleague Joe is uh, head of game design and my colleague Tristan is head of narrative design. So he's done a lot of writing. Joe's done a lot of game design, I've done a lot of business, so we sort of teamed up that way, and uh, that's how we merged together. I, I've dabbled in game design, but I try and keep out of it as much as possible, to avoid the fighting. <laughs> if I was going to be, get interested in the Detective Society, where would you start? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you can actually start from any of our games, uh, just start from episode one of whichever story takes your fancy. Uh, we're available on our website. We've got a new Kickstarter out at the moment, running literally launched yesterday for our next adventure as well. So you can get a discount if you pre-order on Kickstarter. Um, but yeah, visit our website, check it out. Narrative-driven games, yeah. like a holy grail of game design, so <laughs> hard to get it right. Yeah. You seem to have got it right. Yeah. Now you've got the challenge of localization. Yes. How is that working out? Yeah, so that's one of the big things that we're sort of exploring at this event at Spiel. Um, we've not We've, we've dabbled with in-house translations of our first series, um, but the production costs and the unknowns with how many people would want that, we just, we just, we was concerned about doing it ourselves. Now we've got a bit of a, a, a base in English um, and in the UK and some of the English-speaking countries like USA and Canada. Now we're starting to think about partnering with someone to potentially take over the licensing and the localization and production of those specific copies in these countries. So discussions to be had at Spiel this weekend. <laughs> Very good. And yeah. um, how would you address the Asian market? Um, we actually haven't been approached by anyone yet from the Asian market. Um, Germany is obviously probably our number one at the moment. Um, we've probably had about 10 different companies approach us this weekend already about distribution in German and um, localization. But yeah, no, haven't had anything from the Asian market yet. Um, but, you know, it's not to be ignored, so it will be on the horizon at some point, I'm sure. That's interesting. And yeah. is, is the, the market there in Asia, I wonder? We don't know, really. Um, we do sell, at the moment, we do ship globally from our website. Um, but obviously, some areas prohibitively, prohibitively expensive for customers to order, particularly of the, uh, the troubles of Brexit at the moment. So. Um, we, I, I can't say for sure. I know we've got quite a few customers in Singapore, interestingly. Um, I think we've had a few to Hong Kong. Um, but we, yeah, outside of that, I'm not, it's not huge for us at the moment. So I think we need probably quite a bit of interest shown to us before we would take the expense of uh, translation, I suppose. Right. You've got logistical issues yeah. with, with a, a localized versions in any, any form. But uh, my question for the Asian producers here was, yeah. is there a nascent board game 
uh, market yeah. like there is in its growing phenomenon. Maybe. Yeah, I think it's just uh, going through a bit of a golden age in general board gaming globally. Uh, we saw one stat that was saying it's rising to something like uh, $14 billion worldwide in the next couple of years or something mad like that. Um, so, I, you know, I can believe it. Um, and I don't see why those markets wouldn't be as uh, useful as any of the other markets, for sure. Yeah, and uh, a digital version, you say that the product is a, has a hybrid presence, so some of the solutions and the product, yeah. the, the clues yeah. are online. Yeah, so in the physical, in our core games, uh, you get a box for, the le- uh, for your letterbox, and it's filled with lots of paperwork and documents, but you, because we want you to feel like a real-life detective, you also have to go online, you have to look things up, maybe you've got to hack into some websites, and you, in some cases you even have to make phone calls and ring up characters and text characters. So, you know, there are logistical issues around those for international calling as well, which we're sort of starting to get over a little bit now here as well. That's fascinating. Yeah. Very, very interesting hybrid, very creative yeah, and uh, innovative. Now, over to Hall 5 to meet Luke McIntosh from Dakota Irish. They create beautiful things for lovers of distinctive artisan handcrafted game accessories. So, actually, I didn't expect to see an Irish games components coming here. So, is it there's a business in it? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. International, local? International, globally. I, I ship globally and I'll, yeah, everything. So, I do everything from Dice to dice trays and, and vaults to hand, I handcraft uh, my dice trays and dice uh, accessories as well, and we 3D print stuff. So this is not locally manufactured, is it? Yes, this is all this is all my stuff. I, I make this in Kilkenny, Greg Manor. Okay. Yeah. And and big market. Well, I mean, a growing market, I presume. And and international is a is, is a big thing there. Or yes. Growing yeah. So in terms of my sales, um, about. 85% are exported from Ireland. So 85-90%. to 90%. In terms of, you're obviously very good with wood and, and that, that's your specialism, is it? Yes, yes, woodworking, oh. yep, yep. Um, why particularly games, the game, the connoisseur gamer? Why, why are you addressing that market above? Yeah, so I, I worked in corporate America for 20, 25 years, but um, I wanted to do something I was passionate about, something that I felt was you know, something I could love doing and waking up to every morning. And, and so I, when I was made redundant from that role, took the money and I invested into this business back in 2017. And I said, I felt like there was a market, right? So I, there's a company across from us here, Wormwood Game Spies, they're an American company based out of Massachusetts. I knew they existed, but to ship them to Ireland or anywhere in Europe was nuts cost, 25, 30 more euro. And I felt like I could do better. I could make a better product and I could sell within the you know EU and global market and that's how I got started was actually with the woodworking and the dice trays and then I kind of thought they're a very expensive kind of first purchase very hard for a customer to kind of buy into that you know initially so I decided to start carrying dice and I found suppliers who had dice and I would carry dice and then the dice business became a massive part of what I do and now I design dice and have the manufacturer I have suppliers and manufacturer partners that I work with so I get some and I manufacture some. So I have my own uh, gemstone dice with my own um, fonts and everything else on that. I have uh, metal sets like these uh, dragon scale ones that have great tactile feel to them. And I have um, other uh, plastic polymer sets that I've designed as well. So it's kind of, this has become a huge part of the business. 
Um, but this is still a pa like they're both passions. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm very passionate about the dice and fairness, and anyone who talks to me will know that. But uh, this is also a love of mine, and I'm not. You know, what I mean, I, I we joke about Wormwood being a competitor or Kraken or other dice companies, but like for me, we're all building this brilliant community. And I don't know if you've heard of Critical Role before. That them and Stranger Things and Big Bang Theory. You know, people our age and, and even a bit younger started to come into this, going, "Well, actually, this is really awesome." These tabletop games are amazing, you know? And uh, I, I knew I could see it happening back in 2017, so that's why I kind of got into it. I'm interested in the, the, the growth of the tabletop and board gaming. There's a growing kind of grassroots there. Is that the market you're addressing? It's, it's, a, it's a quite a connoisseur sort of individual client, isn't it? Uh, yes and no. So there is a connoisseur element to it, and it's probably... So the way I look at this is, and the way I have this in my marketing is... There are three types of customers, if you will. There's the critter, who's a die-hard player, who knows all the different ins and outs of it. That's maybe the connoisseur that we talk about. Then there is the kind of beer and pretzels fellow who maybe got into it again because he played in college and you know friends, whatever. And then there's the gifters, people who buy it for them for the people. And really that first group, the age range on that is probably sub 18 to just over 25. And that group does not have a huge amount of money. And so, really, that group is what they love dice because that's the things they can get into. But then, when you get into the kind of beer and pretzels fellas and the gifters, that's where this market comes into play. So, I think it's probably incorrect to think of the tabletop gaming thing as being kind of a connoisseur element to it. It's actually a very youthful revolution where the young have come into it realizing that they no longer want to spend time on TVs, they no longer want to spend time playing video games for hours. They want to have a personal interconnection with people, and that's what tabletop gaming gives them, I think. That's very much the, what I get from the stories that customers tell me, is that they tell me all about the stories with their friends that they've created. And it's usually young people and people who are, you know, mad for it, you know? So, Memorable game nights. Yes. And just being with people, whether it's via Zoom or in person. Yes. More and more in person. So, so I very much believe that that's where the trend is coming from. It's from people really rejecting a more digital element of things, yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting that you, you started the business with one idea, and that ticks over, and um, that you're following the, the market essentially with the dice business too, and you'll just see how it goes. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You have to have the most amazing stand in Spiel. Oh, thank you. It, thank is, you. it is a crazy kind of Kilkenny castle. Thank you very much, yes. That's what we were going for, yeah. Uh, this was, that was actually Bridget. That was, this was her design. So I, I knew what I wanted, and I knew Bridget from she's done the mural outside of my my building. And I um, I asked her to come along and, and uh, help me create this. And so she designed it. Uh, well, we kind of designed it together, but she's the designer. Like, I couldn't have come up with all this. I was just kind of giving feedback direction more than anything. And she designed it, and then she put together the team to build it. And it took them about six weeks. So two weeks for design phase, and then there's six weeks for building. And then we um, we made it so that it's it's you know we can tear it down very easily and move around and so hopefully she'll be with us for quite a few cons come. And is this the first time this particular show yes. has been rolled out? Yes, it's the very first time. Yeah, and we wanted to do it for Spiel. I've been planning for Spiel since 2019. Um, so uh, yeah, wanted to make it come go big or go home. Let's just say. <laughs> so. How many trade events do you think you'll go to every year? What's your plan? Well, before pre-pandemic we were smaller. Um, so we still tried to get to a con a month or con every couple months uh, within Ireland. Now as we're a little bit more established, we can get out there. So yeah, tried to go to a con every month or every couple months. Yeah. If you were going to have a, a board game night, what would be your opening kind of uh, icebreaker game? 
What's your go-to? Oh God, uh, unstable unicorns or something like that. Like something just completely off, you know, makes everybody laugh and you just have a great crack with it. You know what I mean? Something that's fun and makes people laugh is always a good ice breaker. So thank you so much for your yeah, time and, and sharing all that information. Thank you for listening to the Game Chat on Design Talk. Links and credits in the show notes.